Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. So we're in a series called Follow the Goose, and uh, we're using that to, uh, that, that symbol, the goose symbol is actually the Celtic symbol for the Holy Spirit. So we're studying the Holy Spirit. And so coming up on Mother's Day, I thought, well, what's a good title? And I figured, well, maybe Mother Goose is a good title. So we decided to do that. And then actually the way it turns out, the text that we're dealing with today, some of the attributes that were discussed in this text are something all of us should experience and all of us should have, but uh, truth be told, they're often attributed to the finer gender among us. And so I thought, well, yeah, that's a, that's a great opportunity because uh, we've looked at some texts that we're going to look at again uh, from a different perspective today that have used the word to describe the Holy Spirit as helper. But that word could also be adequately, uh, very fully translated as comforter. And uh, when I think of comfort, growing up especially, I don't know about you, but I think of my mom. So I just thought it was really appropriate. And then my next thought was, I wonder if uh, some of the Mother Goose rhymes could actually provide something to help us with this theme today. So I started looking at some of them. Do you remember some of the Mother Goose rhymes? So... Here's one that I read and I thought, wow, comfort. Three blind mice, see how they run. They all ran after the farmer's wife who cut off their tails with a carving knife. Did you ever see such a thing in your life as three blind mice? And I thought, comfort, mom. Do I really want the picture of a mom with a six-inch bowie knife torturing mice I mean, isn't that like a cat playing with its food just with a big knife in their hand instead? That's just, just, I don't know. And it gets even better. You've all heard this one. There was an old woman who lived in a shoe. She had so many children, she didn't know what to do. She gave them some broth without any bread, and she whipped them all soundly and put them in bed. Doesn't that just make your heart warm? Isn't it just, oh, just so nice. And then there's this one who has been, that, that has been sung to probably every child, hundreds of millions of children ever since it was written in 1765 at bedtime. Rock-a-bye baby in the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. And oh, isn't that so Nice, so gentle, thinking about laying in this baby hammock at the top of a tree, seeing the leaves rustle in the wind and the birds flitting by and the the clouds. And can you just picture that? And just so gentle, so relaxing. You're getting so sleepy, so sleepy. And when the bow breaks, the cradle will fall and down will come baby cradle and all sweet dreams, honey. And then it struck me. Entailed in this, in this mother goose rhyme and in the text we're looking at today is this lesson that God's been trying to teach me for years and increasingly teaching me over the last 10 years especially. It's the, it's the same lesson that when Wendy and I went to San Diego and to, to, to do some training with a bunch of pastors out there last summer, it's the same lesson I shared there as part of the training process. I was working with pastors, some of them who were brand new in the ministry and all excited and passionate, some who had been sitting in settings where it was just really just just working hard in really difficult 
situations for a long time, some of them seeing breakthrough, some of them not yet seeing breakthrough. And, and then there were a group of pastors as well that I was working with who had been in ministry 30 to 40 years. And their big question in life was, simple, was very simple. How do I finish well? How do I finish in a way that I'm leading in an effective manner, in a way that things are growing and not plateaued or declining? And in each of our hearts, isn't that what we really hope for in life? Whether it's in our family or our marriage or our friendships or, or our work settings, isn't it, isn't it the really, the hope that we have is to remain vital, to remain passionate, to remain hopeful, to remain effective as leaders, as people, that our last days of our life would be richer and more meaningful than the days before, right? And in today's scripture, and even in the Mother Goose rhyme, we come up with this, what I think is really the core question and the core lesson of how we achieve longevity in effectiveness as leaders, as people. How we, at least, even if we can produce results, how we have this longevity of passion and joy in being what God has called us to be. And I think the beauty of today's discussion is when we really start to get what we're talking about today and answer this question, for all of us, we'll take a gigantic leap forward in both our leadership effectiveness and in, and in our joy. Now, some of you may not see yourselves as leaders. Many of you do. Some of you lead in Fortune 500 settings. Some of you are business owners and CEOs or managers in settings. And some of you lead in the community. Some of you lead in church. But all of us lead somewhere because even if, even if the only place you lead is, is the initiation you take to help those around you, your friends and your family, grow and support them, we all lead somewhere, someplace, sometime. And so this question about how do we remain effective long-term in our leadership really becomes a central question for each and every one of us. And that question is simply this. Where do you find comfort? Where do you find comfort? You see, the most important question about longevity is not how you seize an opportunity in life, how good you are at seizing opportunities, nor is it how smart you are. It's not even how well you resolve problems and deal with conflict in life. It's not even how inspiringly charismatic of a visionary person you are. The question for longevity of leadership and effectiveness in life is the question, where do you find comfort. Because life is a lot like rock by a baby on the treetop. There's a lot of really beautiful moments in life where we get to see all the beauty. I mean, uh, come on, climbing a tree was like the most fun thing you could do as a child. I remember climbing an apple tree, getting to the top and the branches all swaying and just going, this is really fun. Not thinking about the fact that they could break, you know, but it's just beautiful up there. The wind, the breeze, the, the leaves, the sky, there's so much beautiful about life, and yet life and leadership is constantly interrupted by breaking branches, by ups and downs, by bruises, by pain, by conflict. And unless we find true, deep comfort for those experiences, as we grow older, we gradually become overrun by life. And we become like people who live with calluses 
over our hearts instead of being soft and fully alive. We, we live our passion, our heart's passion, like, like we've got carotid arteries. They're blocked. We start facing life through our tiredness and our weariness, and, and we start facing the challenges that we face every day that we used to face all the time with a good hope and a good passion. We start facing them out of that weariness and the cynicism of the past. And we don't live fully alive and fully present anymore to what's going on around us. See, we lose the ability to be at the top of the tree swinging and the wonder that God wants to bring. You see, this lesson for me became clearer and clearer, especially over the past 10, 15 years. Uh, it, was a, it was a huge privilege because this lesson came much, so much more clearer in the time that I was actually consulting with churches and working with leaders up and down the West Coast, uh, working with good people on a regular basis, very, very talented leaders, pastors and, and the business leaders who were a part of their leadership teams and just seeing wonderful people. And you know what? I rarely ran into anyone in those settings even as a consultant, who didn't know what they needed to do next. Every single one of them had an idea of what the problem was or what, where they needed to go or, or a lot of times even crystal clear about how they needed to solve the next thing that they were facing in life. But so often as growth and change and the pain and the conflict and the disappointment or the frustration that comes along with it happens, it undermines us emotionally. Slowly, we don't even always realize it. It begins to steal our passion. We become tired. We become unable to take the same risks we took in the past. Unable to face the fears that we've faced tenaciously in the past. We find ourselves unable to head, head into them, uh, face them head on. And we start living this guarded life, escaping just a little bit more instead of living fully engaged fully alive, and fully effective. You see, even if you are older and you're still effective by the numbers because you've learned to be competitive enough, which is something I ran into a lot. I see a lot of people older who they're still competitive by the numbers. The numbers say they're successful. Everything's good. And yet, when I got to know them more, the stress is slowly killing them. Sure, they had the drive to ignore the pain and still be successful by the numbers, but they weren't fully alive anymore. They didn't have the same passion for life and they didn't enjoy life as much as they used to love it. And the same is true, not just in business. It's the same is true in family and the same is true in our marriages. How many of us have gone through life, especially as we get older in marriage and, and there's areas we just create, okay, this area, I'm going to have this little DMZ here. And there's this, this little boundary between, and because there's just, there's just a little bit too much pain, too much disappointment. I don't want to face that anymore. And we just start living life a little bit settling for less. Where do we find comfort? We all know ways we find comfort, right? And some of those ways are okay. Some of them are a little bit, a little bit unhealthy. And some of them are downright destructive, right? I mean, you know, one glass of wine at night because it is really good and healthy, but all of a sudden we start finding ourselves doing three and four glasses of wine because we can't forget the day and we can't sleep without it. We 
have a wonderful hobby and it gradually becomes this driven obsession for us because it helps us disassociate and forget the stress of the day. We eat more because we know that eating provides comfort, right? Good food helps us change our emotions. It helps us forget the stress because it changes the way we feel inside. But forgetting is not comfort. Forgetting is not comfort. No, comfort was when I was a kid and had a rough day and got teased at school and had hurt feelings coming home and mom greeting me at the door and sitting down and caring for me and listening to me. It was when I had done wrong and uh, I was fearful of rejection and I decided to confess or decided to say something. It was my mom or my dad forgiving me and holding me and making me know that I was still secure in that relationship. It was the simple times when we skinned our elbows and our knees and our parents or grandparents just gently cared for us and kissed us and made it all better, right? Because comfort is personal. It's not forgetting. It's not distraction. It's not the impersonal things that we substitute for comfort. Where do you find comfort? Today's focus in the Bible leads us to discuss this further. We're going to look at the richness of really primarily one word in the context Jesus uses it in. This word is used five times in the New Testament, four of the times by Jesus in three chapters to describe who the Holy Spirit is. We've already actually looked at one of those contexts a couple weeks ago in John 16, so we won't look at that one today. But we'll look at the examples of Jesus using this word. In the original Greek, the word was paraclete or parakletos. Literally, it means one who's called to walk by your side. But in the common use of the day when it was written, it was used to describe somebody who fought your case or made your case for you, somebody who came to you when you were going through a difficult time and counseled you, comforted you, cared for you. It's this word comfort. In the English translations, it's translated typically three different ways for when it refers to the Holy Spirit. It's referred to as helper, which is the translation we've looked at the last few weeks, but it's also translated comforter and counselor. But let's not just look at the word. Let's look at the context Jesus uses it in, in these passages. The first context that Jesus uses it in, that we're going to look at in just a moment, is a context where it sets up, in a sense, almost this tension between hearing from God, experiencing the Holy Spirit, and the role of wise principles in our life biblical principles or other principles. And we would normally wrestle with this question by saying in our heads something like this. I know the wisdom of the Bible. I know the wisdom of the best leaders out there and what to do. And I've done this before, so I'm just going to do it. So why do I need the Holy Spirit? Where does the Holy Spirit fit into that? John 14, verse 15. Let's read the text. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that's the paraclete, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So if we start looking at this text in just plain 20th century English, what Jesus is basically saying to us here is you don't really get to deeply know the Holy Spirit and his leading without knowing the wise principles of the Bible. And not just knowing the wise principles of the Bible, but obeying them. 
It's kind of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the portion of the text where comforter is used or paraclete is used that, it, 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 that we're not going to discuss too much today, but it's, it was the text where the Holy Spirit, the comforter, comes to convict. And we talked about in that con- context how if you're not experiencing, if you're a follower of Christ and you're not experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit and recognizing it, some of it may be ignorance or lack of practice of discerning but some of it may be the fact that the Holy Spirit has come to you over and over again, convicting you of a direction to go or convicting you of sin that needs to change in your life. And you've repeatedly resisted him and he stepped back waiting for you to respond. You see, when we respond to the Holy Spirit with obedience, we get more of his leading and more of his presence. It's just that simple. But let's, let's go beyond that. Let's look a little further. This starts out, this text starts out by saying we need to pay attention to the commandments of the Bible because they give us wisdom, right? But while the Bible gives us principles in, that can help us be guided in all circumstances of life, the Bible doesn't have all the specific answers to a lot of our day-to-day questions that we struggle with that really are the source of our discomfort. For example, the Bible has a lot to say about financial management. It's chock full of stuff about wise financial management. But it doesn't say buy Apple stock on June 11th of, uh, in June of 2011 and sell it in September of 2012 and you'll double your money and you won't get the loss that's going on right now. I mean, it doesn't say that, right? The Bible is full of wisdom for bosses and employees and how to relate to one another and how to conduct business. But it doesn't say hire this person now or fire that person now. The Bible says lots and stuff about being gracious and gracious and patient, long-suffering and merciful. Yet it also talks about how we should confront people in their sin. How do we know when to do what and how to do it? There's a, there's a verse in the Proverbs that just is, sets up a conundrum for everybody. In Proverbs 26, it says, Don't answer a fool in his folly, or you will be like him. And then in the very next verse, it says, Answer a fool, otherwise he'll be wise in his own eyes. Which is it? Don't answer or answer. How are we supposed to act? And some will look at the Bible and they'll see things like this and they'll go, well, that's just illogical. And in their mind, it undermines the text for them and the authority of the Bible for them. But that's really because we look at the Bible when we make that conclusion through religious eyes, through religious lens. Most of us default to looking at the Bible through religion, whether you are a churchgoer or not, whether you are a believer or not. We all default towards a religious lens to look at the Bible. The problem with religion and the reason why it is so lifeless is that religion tries to extrapolate all the rules to give us answers to everything we need to know in all of life and in so doing it sidelines the Holy Spirit. It sidelines relationship with God. It sidelines God's control over our life and puts us back in control. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit, the relational experience of him is to be the centerpiece of our very experience in following him. And so Jesus in the text 
commands us to pursue wisdom. And as we pursue wisdom and living it out in the way he designed, he empowers us for the journey by giving us the Holy Spirit. And his spirit in you will not be sidelined. It won't be something distant, but he will be, the text says, what? In you. In facing a difficult decision. In facing a challenging relationship. Knowing the spirit is within you. Doesn't that just flip something in the anxiety level for you? Just that knowledge alone Doesn't that flip something in you? He's working in me. He's working in the wisdom I have. And he's here to ensure that I get where I need to be. So the question for us is, how do you pause on a daily basis? Maybe on an hourly basis. How do you pause and remind yourself that the Holy Spirit is in you if you're a follower of Jesus? And how do you defer to him in those decisions so you don't just rely on on your own understanding. I was out looking for Mother's Day cards. Honey, I did get you one. And uh, you read them, and there's really basically one popular sentiment that's said in many different ways in almost every single card, isn't there? Almost every single card says, Mom, thanks for always being there. And the stability and the comfort that comes from knowing that God is always there with you changes things, doesn't it? You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not just around you, not just occasionally with you. The Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches, and this text teaches, Jesus teaches us, is in you. There is a qualitative difference between your experience of his presence before choosing to follow and after choosing to follow him. The problem is that we don't always label and understand what he's doing, but he's always at work in your life. He's always there. And one of my goals, one of my hopes and prayers for all of us is that through this series, we'll become more aware of labeling that's him so that we can receive the depth of comfort that he really truly wants us to have in knowing that we're not alone. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you can expect as the major portion of your decision to come to the point of faith, it really needs to be focused on your experience of God as a person and the reality of him to you. You're never going to get all your questions answered, but you can expect to encounter him in a way that leads you to be convinced he really is God, he really is alive. And yet for you, when you make that choice to follow him, there will be a qualitative difference that occurs in your experience of the Spirit when that happens. And we see this in the next place as Jesus takes us further in this confidence and comfort. Verse 25, these things, he says, I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Comforter, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. If you were here on Easter and saw the video of the testimonies, you saw Buzz's story. And I was looking at that video again online this last week, and his story really highlights the truth of what Jesus is trying to teach us here of the fact that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. 
If you remember Buzz's story in in his story on the video, he basically leads us through these steps of surrender and obedience to God that God was leading him to take and then how God met him in that. And then in his own words, he says, the words of Scripture leapt off the page and I experienced the warmth and presence of God like I had never experienced in 16 years of trying to follow him. And he said it was the most amazing thing as I continued to read the Scripture. It made sense like it never had before. And the reality is true. When we respond in surrender and obedience to God, His Spirit comes and leads us into truth and makes things make sense for us. And yet if you're like me, even though I've experienced that same thing Buzz relates, and many of you have experienced that same experience of things coming alive, even though we've experienced that, if you're like me, there's, you still struggle with that concept because you think, what do you mean? These are just words on paper. I can read them before I'm a follower or even when I'm in disobedience the same as I can after I'm a follower or after I surrender. I can read it the same. Are you saying that I won't really be able to fully understand them until the Holy Holy Spirit makes them alive to me? Yes. Yes. And yeah, there's a mystical element of relation to him, but it goes even more practical than that. You see, there is an understanding that comes in relationship that is far greater than words on paper. Yet, as important as that truth is, I don't want to leave that truth isolated to just reading the Bible. That's hugely important, but I want to make it even more practical than that. In college, I used to take this verse and present it really quite literally. I would go to my classes and probably 80, 90% of the time I would go into my classes and I would go into my day praying, Holy Spirit, would you teach me all the things I need to learn today? And when I go to my tests, I'd pray the second half of that. Lord, would you bring to remembrance everything I need to know? Now, that didn't guarantee that I got 100% on everything. I wish it would have at times. But here's the point. God has created all of us for a beautiful, wonderful, exciting, dynamic purpose in life. Whether we're seen or unseen, whether we're, our names are on the buildings we build in terms of people, or whether we're those unseen people who build a great monument in our kids' or other people's lives because of those things that we do, He has a huge, wonderful purpose for us, and this is how that applies then to us. God designed us for that. And what this verse gives comfort and confidence in is God will teach us everything we need to fulfill that purpose. And when we're in a situation where a decision needs to be made to fulfill that purpose, He will bring to our our memory everything that we need to fulfill that purpose. Now, we know, if we remember what we just talked about a second ago as the very first verse, that there's this element of obedience, there's this element of response, there's this element of pursuing the Scripture and, and pursuing wisdom. This is not a magic pill to learn by osmosis by having your book across the room. All you people in college, you just can't leave it on the desk or put it on your face while you're sleeping, right? Right? So this is not magic, but if we, if we go into this with the response to God and the pursuit of God and the pursuit of wisdom like He wants us to, we can be completely confident. Whether it's in your family or in your business or in a difficult friendship. Have you been in a situation as a boss or a consultant or a parent or a friend where you knew something wasn't right? 
you knew something needed to change, something needed to be fixed. Maybe you knew what it was, but you didn't know how to get it done, or maybe you didn't even know what it was that needed to be fixed. And you walk into those situations praying, Holy Spirit, lead me into all truth. From personal experience doing that over the years, even, even walking into lots of conflicted situations as a, in my employment uh, in the past, I can tell you from personal experience, there's this comfort, there's this tangible presence of the Holy Spirit that shows up and sorts things out for you when you do that. Can I ask you a question? How much of your stress and anxiety and work and life or family is related to wondering if you will make the right, true, best decision? Isn't that where a lot of your stress is? And this is saying that the Holy Spirit's work is to comfort us in that. Because He leads us in applying wise principles in the right way at the right time. He grows us to be prepared for the challenges that we're facing at the right time in the right way. He's the one who, when we don't understand stuff, He will uncover truth or reveal truth to us when we need it. And He'll bring to remembrance everything we need at the moment we need it. If we'll just trust Him and look to Him. Doesn't that relieve stress? Doesn't that bring just this sense of comfort and confidence to re-engage, to face the stress, to face the pain, to face the fear that sometimes makes us back down and just settle? How do you connect to God each day as you face the decision points or these kinds of situations in your life? How do you focus your trust on God to lead you into all that you need to do Do you walk into all your situations praying this prayer with thankfulness? Lord, thank you that your Holy Spirit will lead me into all the truth I need today to make the decisions and to address the situations that you've led me into for today. Can you feel what praying that prayer and the presence of God coming to you in that prayer does to your confidence and your empowerment and your your passion to be able to run? Or just pray the prayer, thank you, God, that you bring to remembrance everything I need for the purposes to be fulfilled, your purposes, your good, good purposes to be fulfilled through my life today. Whether that means I get 100% on this test or 70%, it doesn't matter. Whether I make 100% of the sales today or whether I make 20% of the sales I'm on today, you will help me accomplish everything perfectly. Can you feel the sense of confidence and peaceful, and even passionate anticipation that God wants to deposit in you through the relationship with, through your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes on another aspect of comfort, and this time he addresses what I think for many of us is the most difficult of all situations for us to find comfort in. He, he talks about, he uses the word for comforter in the, in the context of where he's just gotten done talking about conflict about persecution, about resistance, about about those times in your life when the circumstances or the people around you have you in a position where you feel absolutely stuck, no place to run, just stifled. John 15, in that immediate context, Jesus says this in verse 26, but when the Comforter comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. He's got your back. 
the Spirit of truth has your back. He'll bear witness to you and to others to make a way for your purpose to be fulfilled. You see, conflict and resistance cause much of the discomfort in our lives. And how we deal with conflict internally, it doesn't matter necessarily how we deal with that here, but how we deal with conflict internally is huge in terms of our ability to have long-term effectiveness as leaders. You know, so my background has had a lot of conflict in it. And some people have said, that, and, and, I, and I feel like God has gifted me to deal with conflict. It just seems like everywhere I've gone in ministry in my career path, it's been that. It's, from the very first full-time ministry position I got, it was like, okay, Ross, you go deal with that conflict. And I was always sent into him. And, and I've just been put in settings uh, throughout my career where there needed to be change happen. And change, for it to be effective, you've got to actually pull the conflict to the surface and bring it out in the light and make it happen. And, and I've just been sent in as an interventionist in a lot of places. But over the last 10 years, especially, you know, I've always viewed myself as good at this, but over the last 10 years, I've realized I haven't learned the lesson we're talking about today nearly as well as I need to. You see, most of us avoid conflict. And those of us who feel like we're, we're good at it or designed to face it well, we treat it and we face it through the old cliche like water off a duck's back, right? We go into conflict and people say, well, doesn't it bother you? And you say, well, no, it's just kind of, just kind of ignore it. It's just kind of like water going off a duck's back, right? Isn't that how we usually face it? But the reality is, as I had the privilege of working with tons of leaders and working with a lot of older leaders as well, and as I began to age myself, I realized there's a lot of tiredness you start to feel as you get older. And it's not the physical tiredness in spite of the fact that I crossed 50 a few weeks ago and I've been getting incessantly teased about being over the hill. I can still go home. I still have quite a bit of energy. And most days I can go home and I have enough energy to enjoy a four to six mile run. But, you know, I'm just going to take away the big joke out of that right now for my kids and all the staff uh, for Monday's staff meeting. Uh, they would just say, well, that's just because you're getting to run downhill. That you can still do that, right? But it's not physical tiredness. It's the tiredness of emotion. It's the tiredness of strength of attitude. It's the tiredness of passion. It's the tiredness of heart that we begin to face. And frankly, it's the same tiredness that makes many of us in our 40s and 50s, if not openly, secretly start to say, I could really, I could really like retirement, right? And it leads many of us to disassociate with what we're experiencing and forget things through escape. And treating conflict by ignoring it like a duck, like water off a duck's back is, I think, really at the core of our inability to experience God and His presence more deeply so often. Because water only runs off, your, off a duck's back if the duck is still in motion, if the duck is busy, if the duck is staying active. So we find that we can't be still as people and just be present to God and ourselves in quietness, without the thoughts and feelings of the past pains or conflict erupting again in our minds. And so we stay busy. And yet it's only in the pauses, only in the quietness, that we really connect really deeply 
to the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we become those people who connect deeply in quietness with God? So far, we've given you, by implication in this message, several, just through the question, how do we regular, regularly build into our daily lives ways that we consciously pause, ways that we pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come and be with us? We have, by implication, talked about the importance of being in the Bible as part of that way of connecting with the Holy Spirit. In past messages, we've actually led you at the end of messages at times in ways of exercising that in something that some people would call safe place, others would call it sacred space. It's a visualization meditation exercise to allow Jesus to come to us and speak to us in those places we need him to speak to us in. We've talked in the past about setting aside little longer blocks of time every now and then to pray or to pray and fast to just hear God. We even, we even spent a whole sermon, a whole message helping you actually work out the idea of praying psalms of lament so that we can take our frustration and anger, which normally make us turn away from God, and instead we can turn toward God with those. We've talked about all those ways, but I want to add one more today. And it's found in Acts 16. And we're not going to read the whole text. You can read. It would be a fascinating read. You'd go home and read it uh, today. But it's just another way the Holy Spirit bring, comes to us. In Acts 16, we see the, Paul, the story of Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are in a town named Philippi. And they're ministering. And God is touching people. The Holy Spirit's showing up in a way that's convincing unbelievers to believe. And, and reaching into people's lives and changing them. But there's also resistance that emerges in Philippi. And we see the people, the resistors, stirring up an angry mob. And they grab Paul and Silas and drag them, which I'm sure was a really pleasant experience, to the magistrates. And then they insult them, they accuse them, they defame them, they slander them, and they get the magistrates to judge them as they want. And then they're beaten with rods until they're bloody. And you can imagine these rods beating probably broke a rib or two as well in that process. And then not only are they beaten, but then they're sentenced not just to jail, they're sentenced, the text says, to the inner jail, the place where all the worst criminals do, where there's no windows, it's completely dark, and in that setting, they're chained to the wall and their feet are stuck in stocks. And I'm sure there's rats running around at their feet. Can you imagine yourself being there for a minute? And being them, can you imagine sitting on the ground with your arms chained and your feet in stocks, broken ribs, bleeding bleeding back, and oh, did I say rats around your bleeding back, trying to find comfort? More than likely, knowing the day and age it was in, Paul and Silas had probably risen at sunrise and had been through a long, horrendously gruesome Day And in verse 25, the text says, At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God while the other prisoners listened to them. Why? It's because the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us, manifests, becomes real, becomes tangible to us when we pray and praise Him. What are your daily habits, your daily habits of praise and worship in your life? You see, regardless of whether you can light up my life by your singing or you make me want to cover my ears and run, God has designed you to praise, to sing, to drone if you must, if that's all you can do, 
to speak out loud his praises. And you know what? I'm a person who loves to pray and worship quietly in my head, but I've also come to realize there's nothing like doing it out loud. There's just something different that you can't replace praising and singing and worshiping out loud with your own voice. And in Paul and Silas's case, they're praising God. And they find this deep sense of comfort in that setting. It's almost out of desperation that they're doing it, but they find comfort. And it's not because they felt like it. It didn't happen for Paul and Silas by accident or because they felt like worshiping. To the contrary, in our moments of pain, in our moments of frustration, in our moments of injustice, anger, sickness, or death around us, Do we feel like praising? Do we want to worship and pray to God? So I think for Paul and Silas like us, it's either we have to create on a daily basis this habit of worship in our lives so that when we face those difficult times, that habit kicks in more naturally. Or we'll tend to miss the comfort God wants to bring to us in those times of difficulty. In fact, I think by implication, if you read the rest of Acts 16 and see how God's power showed up in their worship, I think it also, by implication, teaches us the lesson that if we don't worship, if we don't go to Him and find comfort, if we don't pursue Him to lead us, even in those most difficult of times, we can miss the power of His deliverance. We can miss the healing that He wants to bring. We can miss Him leading us into the truth and the success that He wants to bring to our lives if we don't learn to lean towards God and find our comfort in Him when we need it most. You see, I've lived way too much of my life letting things roll off my back like water off a duck's back. Instead of taking the pain and the frustration seriously and being more intentional about learning to turn towards God to find comfort there rather than through distraction and to find comfort in worshiping Him, even especially when I don't feel like it. So the question for all of us today is, will you remain a person who is vibrant, who is fully alive, who is passionate to the end of your life as much as you were at the beginning or even more? A person who risks and leads effectively fully alive for your entire lifetime. Will you be that person? And the answer is yes but only if you learn to access the power and the presence of God to give you real personal comfort, not the impersonal stuff you do to find it now. You see, because if you don't, parts of you will become hard. That falling out of the treetop and hitting the mud and the dust, you hit it over and over again, and eventually that mud and dust doesn't come off and you just become crusted and you become cynical, you become hard. But if you go to God, not only for emotional comfort the Holy Spirit can bring to you in those quiet times, but for the comfort and the confidence and live life through the comfort and confidence that He will indeed teach you everything, not some, everything you need to be successful in the mission and the good things that He's called you to do, If you live in that kind of confidence at every step of your journey, your life will be so amazingly vibrant and rich 
Can you imagine how much more emotional energy and vision and impact you can have if you live life through that lens rather than carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders and all the stress you're carrying right now? Can you imagine if you lived with that kind of comfort and that kind of confidence in your life, how much more successful, how much more beautiful your life can be? Dusty, come on. As we close, I want to ask you to ponder a question. No, actually, I want to ask you to ask God this question. And if you need to close your eyes so that you're not distracted, then close your eyes if you're fine keeping them open. You just do whatever you want. But I want you to ask God this question. I want you to say, Jesus, how do you want me to let your spirit bring greater comfort and confidence to my life this week? And I want you to expect him to bring to your mind. Remember that scripture tells us he will bring to remembrance everything we need when we need it. Right? So I want you to expect in answering that, asking that question that the stuff that's going to come into your mind is going to be stuff he wants you to pay attention to. So the question again, just spend a few moments thinking about this, prayerfully asking Jesus, how do you want me to let your spirit bring greater comfort to my life. Lord, thank you that you want to be so, so tangibly personal and real to us. Lord, I pray that you would teach us where to go for our comfort, and that's to you. I pray that you'd help us not go to all the things we're going to right now that are not fulfilling that pray that you'd teach us to live lives before you in a quietness that allows you to settle those issues that keep interrupting our quietness, that allows you to bring a personal comfort and healing to those areas that makes them go away so that we can go on clean, full, that the pain and the wounds of the past would no longer come up, at least not come up, Lord, in any kind of way that affects our comfort. And Lord, I pray that you'd also give us the confidence that you want us to have. That we can walk today, we can walk tomorrow, we can walk into that difficult relationship, we can walk home to our difficult marriage, we can walk home to our difficult job. And you, Lord, are there to lead us into all truth. You are there as the spirit of truth to have our back, to care for us and to fulfill every good work that you've called us to fulfill. And Lord, that we can leave the stress at your feet and walk in such an amazing joy, such a freshness in life that you would be glorified. And Lord, we worship you for that. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you that you are faithful to us. And I pray, Lord, now that as we worship you more, that you would come and you would tangibly touch each and every one of us where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen. If you came today and you want more of God and you just, maybe you're not even quite sensing it or maybe you're sensing it in a tug, we would love to pray for you. And we would love to try to help you experience God. If you came with a need, would just join us in the back. Uh, there's kind of some 
pods over here in the back so we can sit down and pray with people. We'd love to do that. Or turn to a friend. Let's go this week and let's live in that confidence God wants us to live in. He's got your back. And he's got your front. And he's going to bring comfort. He's going to bring power. He's going to lead you. Turn to him more as a habit and worship him and see what he'll do. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at go to quest.org.